Bright Metal Audio presents The Blood Miles by Andrew Moody, read by the author. Volume 1, Chapter 4 I was asleep when they grabbed me, dreaming that I was leading the people of Spillen along the pipeline, with central cities shining on the horizon. The mayor was just saying, We should always have listened to you, Walker. And the next minute, Everyone had charged at me and piled on so I couldn't breathe or move. And then I woke up and realised there really were people on top of me. Someone was kneeling on my chest. Someone else was pulling a hessian bag over my head. Someone was holding down my arms. Instantly I was awake, razor sharp and absolutely clear that I was about to be murdered and eaten. I found myself making a horrible groaning noise as I tried to twist free. I felt my fingernails tear as I clawed the ground. None of it did any good. Whoever it was had me pinned down. I could smell their sweat and hear their grunting as they pressed me into the ground. Did you think we wouldn't notice if you came in along the pipeline? said one of them. Goyans think everyone's as stupid as them, said a second voice. I freed an arm and felt my knuckles graze somebody's face. I got a punch in the nose and a boot on my neck in return. Get him in the van, said the first voice. Then there was Quine pulling tight around my ankles and wrists, and I was being carried and dropped onto the floor of a large vehicle of some kind. There was dirt and patterned rubber under my cheek and a smell of cigarettes and ozone in the air. Somebody slammed a door, and I felt the pressure pop in my ears as the machine began to move. "'Where are you taking me?' I asked. "'Where do you think?' said the first voice, now coming from the front of the vehicle. "'You're coming to Ockham. You can help us with our research,' said the second voice, now coming from higher up and on my left. "'What's Ockham?' I said. "'Don't pretend to be stupid than you are,' said the first voice." Are you on your own, or have you got some friends somewhere? It's just me. I've been following the pipeline from Spillin. I'm not trying to sneak in anywhere. Yeah, right, said a third voice. Just thought you'd take a nice little stroll along our pipe, did you? Said the second voice. No, someone told me that I'm trying to find somewhere where I can get treatment for the tox. There was a pause. Look through his stuff, said the first voice. There was a sound of someone moving about, rummaging through my pack. Apart from the gun, it's just travelling stuff, said the second voice. Clothes, flint, a few rounds, dried fruit, dried meat. Dried meat, said the first voice. How about that? So you're not from Gaia after all? No, I'm, I'm from Spillin, like I said. I'm just looking for... Maybe we should give him the test, said the second voice. Go ahead, said the first voice. Get the book. I heard the sound of pages being flicked. Through the floor, the engine changed note as the vehicle began climbing a slope. Ready, Tox's face, said the second voice. Ready for what? I said. To decide your fate. Quiz time, said the third voice on my right. I don't know what you're talking about, I said. Probably not, said the second voice. But that's what we're going to find out. Okay, here's the first one. Which of the following words is most similar in meaning to irrelevant? A. Ordinary. B. Irreverent. C. Useless. D. Wrong. What? I said. Why are you asking me? Not right, said the third voice. Ah, said the second voice. No, wait, wait, I said, trying to lift my head. Ask me again. I just wasn't expecting that sort of question. I don't know, Tox Face. You had your chance. What do you think, boss? Give him another go, said the first voice. The second voice repeated the question as I tried to force my brain to listen to the words. It's either C or D, I said. No, it's C. Useless. Lucky, said the third voice. Yeah, said the second voice. Okay, here's the second question. Some of the children in this class are lazy. No lazy child gets good marks. Which is true? A. No child in this class will get good marks. Or B. Some children in this class won't get good marks. 
I tried to remember the question. Time's a factor, said the voice on my right. That's right, said the second voice. B, I said. He's guessing, said the third voice. Maybe, said the second voice. All right, let's try one without multiple choice. If it takes five bakers one hour to make five loaves of bread, how long does it take a hundred bakers to make a hundred loaves? Can't tell, I said. Why not, said the second voice. We don't know the setup, I said. Are they all sharing the same equipment? If they have to wait for mixers or ovens or bench space or something, it'll take longer. Think she's smart, said the third voice. Yeah, but is he smart or is he just as smart? Assume the same ratio of equipment as the first example, said the voice from the front of the vehicle. Then it's the same, I said. It'll take an hour. There was another silence. Get the hood off him, said the first voice. I blinked and found myself staring up at the grinning face belonging to the owner of the second voice. He was a big man with a round head topped with stubble. He had wire-frame spectacles and a long battered overcoat. Standing over him, I saw a slightly younger man with dark wild hair, a leather jacket and a bandolier holding what looked like three straight razors. Nice work on the questions, said the younger man. Welcome to Ockham. I'm Liam. That's Bill who's untying you and this is William. I turned to follow his nod and saw the owner of the third voice, a lanky figure with a long, crooked face. Why did you grab me? I said. Just doing our job, mate, said Bill, working the knots loose on my hands. We thought you were from Gaia, said Liam. They're always trying to sneak in and wreck things. We didn't know you were switched on. But if you're a thinker, you belong with us. So who are you guys? We're a deep patrol. Ockham sends us out to guard the approaches and look for stuff. He pointed toward the back of the vehicle, where wire crates full of books, magazines and old telecommunication equipment rocked with the motion of the van. You should be grateful, said Bill, now untying my feet. For you attacking me, I said. No, because of the tox, said Bill. That's right, said Liam. If you're worried about the tox, Ockham's the place for you. Have you got a cure? Not yet, but we know how to control it, and we've got scientists working on a proper vaccine. Civilization, said William. Science, said Bill. Same thing, said William. I looked round at them, wondering whether to trust them. Liam and William looked cyst-free, but when Bill bent down to cut the twine on my feet, I could see a constellation of the blisters in the stubble of his scalp. I wondered if it might be the same for the other two. How about if I wanted you to let me go, I said. Liam shrugged. We could do that. But if you were following the pipe, you would have come to Ockham anyway. He reached down, pulled me up and directed me to an empty seat next to William. At the same time, I felt the vehicle turning. Through the front window, I could see the silhouettes of tall buildings, distant floodlights and the first colours of morning. Is that Ockham? I said. Yep, said Liam. Is it a city? No, it's a university, he said. Used to be a natural sciences institute. Our vehicle slowed as it approached the razor wire fence that ringed the compound. A guard in a parka and grey scarf unshouldered her rifle and approached us, shone her torch through the windows and gave a hand signal to someone. There was a click and the sound of a barrier sliding back. Soon, as I looked around, I could see we were rolling up an avenue flanked by rows of jewellery-rigged solar arrays, caged water cubes and greenhouses. At the end of it, we entered a brick-paved quadrangle ringed by a series of glass and steel buildings. We stopped outside the largest of them, Montag Library it said on its portico. All right, said Liam. Let's deal with the junk and we can get some breakfast. William, take the tech. Bill, show our new friend what to do with the lit. Bill passed me a heavy wire basket filled with books and magazines of all sizes and gestured for me to follow him into the dimly lit library. We came past the front desk into a vast open space with a central atrium reaching up through three stories to a skylight roof. Even in the gloom I could see rows of bookshelves stretching out of sight in every direction. How many books are up there? I said. Too many, said Bill. 
You wouldn't believe what a tox of a job it was to empty the top stories. Come on. He led me down a flight of stairs, through a basement filled with rows of empty bookshelves. A flickering glow played across the ceiling, and as we came out from between the stacks, I could see that the light was coming from a furnace up the far end of the basement. The space around it was scattered with piles of books that cast long shadows onto the concrete. Here we go, said Bill. Just chuck them in one at a time in there and bring back the basket. I'll meet you back at the V. You want me to burn them, I said. That's right. Might have to rip them up a bit to get them going. Why are you burning books, I said. Eats the water, gets rid of them. He saw my face and rolled his eyes. Here, look at them, he said. He grabbed a couple of random titles from the top of the crate. A treatise on human nature. Language, truth and logic. They're all this stupid pseudo stuff. Sociology and political studies and art and history and plaguey junk like that. That's why we get them out of circulation. If we come across anything real, we shove them upstairs. What's real, I said. Testable stuff. Science, tech, not this talks. He opened the furnace and tossed the book inside. I watched him walk away and wondered what I'd been dragged into. What sort of university burned books? Harry Frieden used to say that a life without books is like a body without a soul. Of course, even he would have admitted that not all books are equally valuable. But these Occamists seemed to have a pretty narrow idea of what made a book worth keeping. Was this another kind of tox madness? I didn't know. I did know that I didn't have much choice in the matter. Whatever Bill and his friends might do if I crossed them, I wasn't about to find out for the sake of a few old books on poetry or something. I reached into the basket and pulled out a handful to toss into the fire. And stopped. There, right on top of the stack I was holding in my hand, was a book with a pale grey cover embossed with a symbol of crossed syringes. Roadbook. Complete handbook and cognitive catalyst central issue, it said. I had almost burned it again. Suddenly I was ten years old trying to snuff out the flames on a book just like this. The book was too bulky to hide in my clothes, and my pack was still in the vehicle. I thought for a moment, then quickly finished burning the other volumes and made my way back toward the stair. As I came to the last of the empty bookcases, I reached up and laid the book flat on the top shelf so that nobody would see it. Five minutes later, I was standing in line with my new friends as we helped ourselves to plates full of eggs and bacon from a kitchen off what must have once been the cavernous main hall of the college. At other tables, citizens in overalls, lab coats and patched jackets sat about reading books or talking to one another. They seemed mostly cyst-free, but a few had welts around their temples and ears. So, said Liam as we sat down to eat, are you ready to tell us your name? Chris, Chris Walker, I said. Welcome then, Chris Walker. What work can you do? I've been working in an aquaponics setup, I said. I also helped out at a garage when I was at school, so I know a bit about fixing engines. Liam nodded. Good. Somebody will find you work to do with those skills. We have a big hydroponic system here, creoponics too. What's that? You're eating it. Almost all our meat is tank grown, said Liam. The bacon, I said, looking down at my plate. But it looks real. Smells real too. It is real. It's just produced differently. I looked around at the people on the tables around us. So is everybody here a scientist? No, but they all know how to think. That's why we did the test on you. If you hadn't passed, you wouldn't be sitting here with us. Yeah, said William. You'd be with Vera. I began to ask who Vera was, but the question was cut short by a sudden series of tones blaring over a speaker. Immediately, most of the people in the hall other than my companions began getting up from the table and making their way to the door. A few paused to collect metal buckets that were lined up along the wall. What's going on? asked. 
Air raid, said Bill. It'll be a kite from Gaia, said Liam. They use them to drop fuel bombs on us. They don't do much damage if you're quick with the sand, but we've lost a couple of greenhouses and a vehicle or two. Just as he said it, there was a womp noise and a flash from the open door. Guess I'd better go and make sure they don't get a van, said Bill. Come and have a look if you like. I stuffed the last of the bacon rasher into my mouth and followed him to the door. From the shelter of the portico, we could see people using buckets to smother the flames on a small garden bed on the other side of the quadrangle. I came to the edge of the cover and stuck my head out cautiously. It took me a moment to see it because of the glare and its altitude. But there it was, a tiny box kite hanging a thousand metres above the town. It had a long banner fluttering ahead of it that read, Burn the Machine. I could just make out the shape of someone moving in a basket slung underneath it. Then there was a shout from down the avenue as a sheet of flame exploded on the facade of one of the older buildings. What's gone now? I said to Bill, who was leaning against the brick pillar next to me. Ferals. Back to naturists. They want to get rid of technology, reckon it was science that caused the tox. So they keep trying to sabotage us, and we, he paused to finish lighting a cigarette, just want to get them out of the gene pool. Which we will, sooner or later. After the air raid finished, Liam took me to one of the coordinators who ran the place. She was a neat woman with a grey vest, a no-nonsense stare, and a poster behind her desk that said, If you're not part of the solution, you're part of the precipitate. She asked me the same questions that Liam had asked, and said that she would put me down in hydroponics. Do you have any questions you'd like to ask me? she said. I nodded. When they picked me up, Liam and the others told me that you had ways of controlling the tox. Yes, we have some researchers working on a cure, but I'm afraid I've no idea how close they are. If you ask around, somebody will... I mean, apart from the cure, I said. They said you had ways of managing it. Oh, yes, well, reason is the answer, she said. We have weekly lectures that encourage us to think about cooperation and empathy as adaptive principles, for example. What's that mean, I said. She gave me a patient look. You fight the tox simply by thinking about what is most conducive to your own happiness and that of others, and then doing it. Okay, I said, suspecting I wasn't going to get any further. And one other question, am I free to leave Ockham if I want to? Why would you do that, she said. Well, if I wanted to go to Crux or Central or something. She laughed and then stopped. Wait, you're serious? Central's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. I gave her a puzzled look. Well, we had an agent visit us in Spillen last week, and the water pipe must come from somewhere. Chris, I'm sure you're aware that not everyone is who they say they are. Just because he said he was an agent. She, I said. Just because she said she was an agent doesn't mean there is a central. And as for the pipe, let me ask you this. If the water comes from central, where do you think they get it from? I don't know, I said. I guess from a river or from underground or something. So why does there need to be a city? How do you know the pipes don't just come from the river or the ground? I stared at the legs of her desk. I thought everyone believed in central, I said at last. Not exactly, she said, smiling. But in answer to your question, of course, you can leave any time. Now just wait here and I'll find somebody to take you down to hydroponics. But as soon as she closed the door, it was like an alarm went off in my mind. There was something off about the way she had smiled at me. Was she going to report me? Was she going to get a gun? I jumped up from the chair and went to the window, wondering if I should try to climb out and escape. But we were three stories up and there was no ledge and nothing to hold on to. And what would they do if they caught me on the way out? And then I thought, what if I was just imagining it? What if she was just being weirdly polite? And what if these people really were on the edge of a cure? 
but then I remembered the razors on Liam's bandolier and the way Bill and William had joked before they did the test on me. I got to my feet and made it to the door just as it flew open. Hello, Toxface, said Bill, grinning at me. You didn't tell us you was a centralist. <laughs>